are very happy to welcome Marlene Erschbarmer uh, to our um, seminar series, who is uh, currently uh, in Tirol, uh, tucked away and uh, ready to pr present something uh, of her latest uh, research project, which focuses on Buddhism and gender. Uh, in Sikkim, she looks at uh, historical and also contemporary sources and cases, I reckon. And maybe two uh, words about Malena. She is a long-term um, student and um, alumni of the um, Munich University. She studied under Petra Maurer and also under Franz Karl um, Erhardt. And she um, put out a very uh, impressive catalog on the Badawakagi uh, out there. And she's now going into um, more diverse avenues with this um, take on Buddhism, um, the role of women, especially, and other uh, related issues. Malena, welcome. Hello, everybody. And um, thank you for inviting me to present a part of my research. So um, why Buddhism and gender perspectives in Sikkim? To provide you with some background, um, Sikkim is a tiny Indian state in the Eastern Himalayas that is known as a state where uh, women have more rights compared to other states of the Indian Union. Sikkim is also a former Buddhist kingdom that has always had close ties with Tibet, but today Buddhism makes up around only 27%. Sikkim is a multi-ethnic and a multilingual state that became the scene of religious disputes and confrontations of dialogues and inventive religious interactions. And of course, Sikkim is one of the so-called Beigyul, a sacred hidden land that has been prophesied by Padmasambhava Guru Rinpoche as being a place of shelter whenever Buddhism or Buddhist masters would be in danger in Tibet. And different Tibetan masters left Tibet during difficult times and went to Sikkim where they found new sponsors and followers of their Buddhist teachings. So when I first visited Sikkim for some research in 2010, I was gathering information on one Tibetan Buddhist tradition that was also spread across the Himalayas and is still practiced there, namely the Parabakagipa, an offshot of the Trukpakagipa. Like many scholars before, I followed in the footsteps of important masters of a Buddhist tradition, read their hagiographies, historical and philosophical writings. I visited monasteries connected to them. And even some years later, as I came back to carry out further research, I still focused on monks of that tradition. But some observations that I made during both field trips made me think even years later. The Babyuk Monastery in Sikkim is home to several monks and novices belonging to the Parabakagi tradition. During my first visit, young monks were playing at the meadow in front of the monastery. Monks stood together chatting and some years later, all monks were at a football match in a nearby village when I reached this monastery. But back at one corner, hardly visible from the main path, 
There I found a small building, nuns sitting close and reciting Buddhist texts. During both visits, I saw them only in their small hut. So all the years of my of research on the Bhairava tradition, I never came across much written or oral information on nunneries belonging to this tradition. Only some sparse information on some women are recorded in the hagiographies. That irritated me since there were and still are obviously practicing nuns. But it also seemed as they have been placed out of the radar somewhere in the background, both literally and metaphorically. And that was the starting point to dig deeper in my sources and to start thinking about Buddhism and gender perspectives in Sikkim. And today I'm going to share some of my thoughts and results on my research on this topic. But uh, let's start at the very beginning. Back in times during the lifetime of Buddha Shakyamuni, daughters were not quite welcome because they only caused huge marriage costs and they would only exist because of a husband to whom they had to bring forth sons. In that Brahmanical society, Buddhism was established and made a different worldview possible. Buddhism teaches religious equality. But the social convention was a social subordination of women. Buddha even first refused in establishing a nun's tradition, but he was reminded by Ananda, his disciple, that according to Buddhism, women have the same ability to gain enlightenment than men. So a compromise was found in establishing a nun's tradition that was largely independent and that was new in a Brahmanical context. But nuns and monks were only equal when they were separated. Even the eldest and most honored nun had to bow down even before a novice monk. So Buddha Shakyamuni taught equality for every human being, but reality was different. Also it's within societies influenced by Tibetan Buddhism. Generally, women were regarded as lacking a man's intellectual having a weaker mind and possessing higher vulnerabilities to temptations. Since the birth of a woman implied the accumulation of bad karma in former lives, they were deemed inferior to man. Yeshke gives in his dictionary an interesting example in this context. For kyeman, a word used to denote a woman, one reads, so a human being, it is true, but only born as a female, as Yeshke translated it. Owing to the fact that women were regarded as being less capable than men, women and nuns got less access to education. Often, women took basic vows and stayed with their families, or they waited until, until their children were old enough and then took full novice vows and joined a nunnery for practicing intensively. So bearing that background in mind, let's now turn to Sikkim. According to legendary accounts, Guru Rinpoche visited Sikkim during the eighth century and prepared the land for future dissemination of Buddhism. 
By the way, many legends are recorded wearing Guru Rinpoche four demons, and I have the feeling mainly female demons that represented pre-Buddhist belief systems, and he converted them into protectors of Buddhism. However, in the centuries that followed, different Buddhist masters revealed so-called treasures, dharma. They have been hidden by Guru Rinpoche. In one Dharma text, a guidebook to Sikkim, rediscovered by Rixing Gurman in the late 14th, beginning of the 15th century, one comes across an interesting passage in regard to gender or to, um, to description and imagination of women. One reads that Guru Rinpoche prophesied that when there is a decline of morale and general law in Tibet and sentient beings become full of defilements, including all women looking for sexual intercourse and incest, when there is a time of war or a great desire to eat bad food such as red flesh and blood, then flee, flee to the hidden land here in Tending Sikkim, there, sentient beings have respect for the Buddhist teachings and women got their pure bodies. Everything is better there. So obviously it was believed that women have higher vulner vulnerabilities to temptations as stated um, before. Or one could say that the decline in morale um, has among others um, was measured in terms of um, women's sexual lives. Otherwise, a general decline in morale could have been described both man and woman thirsting for sexual debauchery. However, then during the 17th century, Sikkim was ritually opened by three Tibetan Buddhist masters belonging to the Nyingmapa, namely by Kato Kunto Sangpo, and Nadak Senpa Chempo Punso and they enthroned the first Chögyal or Buddhist ruler named Bünsok Namgyal. And here you see those three masters and the first Buddhist king of Sikkim centered by Guru Rinpoche. These three Tibetan masters and the first Sikkimese king are known as the prophesied Nature Shi Shi, the four yogis who are brothers. This prophecy is contained in, in a treasure scripture revealed by Ratna Lingpa in the 15th century. According to this, four yogis would enter the hidden land through the four doors and, as intended by Guru Rinpoche, open the land for Buddhism and at the same time providing followers of the Buddhist faith with a safe place to practice. And each of these Nyingma masters also established first monastic complexes in Sikkim. By the way, uh, soon after the enthronement of the first Buddhist king, the Nadak tradition became the more influential one. Even more, Nadak Gunsokritsin was kind um, of a royal preceptor who passed this position to his son, Champa Tenzin, and later to his son, respectively, Nata Grinchengen. Under the rule of the third Chögyal, Chakdonamgyal, this changed, and the tradition of Latin Chempo, the Mindraling tradition, took up this position. Mainly one event caused this replacement, the affair of Nata Grinchengen, grandson of Punzokritzin and royal preceptor, with Bende Wangmo the half-sister of the third Chögyal. 
It seems that this relationship involved Nada Grinchingen in lots of troubles. Bende Wangmo was the daughter of the Bhutanese wife of the second Chögyal, Densung Namyal. She is associated with the Bhutanese invasion of Sikkim after her father's death, as she claimed the right of the throne. One cannot help to raise the question to what extent Bende Wangmo really was alone responsible for all the actions against her half-brother, the Sikkimese king, that she was blamed for it, or whether other mighty people pulled the strings, for example, her Bhutanese relatives, and strongly influenced Bende Wangmo, or even more used her as a dummy or as a scapegoat. Um, but this remains rather speculation. Eventually, this power struggle ended up in the murder of the third Chögyal through followers of Bende Wangmo, and as a consequence also in the murder of Bende Wangmo. Not much information is preserved about Nada Grinchingen, and this might not be of a great surprise as he became a persona non grata due to his affair with Bende Wangmo, the half-sister and uh, antagonist of the third Chögyal. In order to compensate for the improper relationship, different monasteries were built. And the number of monasteries all around Sikkim grew over the centuries. Besides, many Tibetans visited Sikkim. Um, most sources deal with male Tibetans, but some females are also recorded. The most famous was Chitsu Mingya Baldrum daughter of Dertak Lingpa, the founder of the Mindraling Monastery in Tibet. Dertak Lingpa emphasized on the importance of educating women and their role in transmitting and practicing their authentic dharma. He made his daughter, Chetsi Mingya Baldrin, a lineage holder. Shikme Babo was a high Lingma Lava and the incarnation of Latsin Chempo, one of the three masters that had opened Sikkim. Born in Tibet, he traveled to Sikkim and gained a lot of power there. Even more, under Chikme Babo, the monastery of Pema Yangtze developed into a durable institution, having the monopoly on the enthronement of the Buddhist, king, Buddhist kings of Sikkim. However, while residing in Sikkim, he tried to invite Chetsin Mingya Baldrin to Sikkim, but she only arrived as the Tsungas invaded Tibet and especially threatened members of the Nyingma tradition to which Mindraling belonged to. However, Chetsin Mingya Baldrin got a royal welcome when arriving in Sikkim and she once again shaved her hat and donned the robes of a nun. Then she was allowed to transmit many teachings to faithful people of this land, including the king and high lamas. And as stated by the Sikkimese scholar Kalsan Dorji Bhutya, her important contributions to Sikkimese Buddhism are still remembered. Um, during the period of her exile in Sikkim, she transmitted many important teachings that remain vital parts of the Nyingma tradition there. And the king, the fourth Jogyal, Gyomenamgyal, even married one of Chetsin Mingya Baldrin's sisters, but the marriage was not a happy one. Years later, the king became seriously ill and there was still no heir to the throne. Everybody was concerned about the continuity of the Namgyal dynasty. 
As recorded in royal documents, the king told the ministers on his deathbed that a nun was expecting his child. Then the king passed away and the ministers found the nun who shortly afterwards gave birth to an heir. Interestingly, her name is not mentioned in any source as far as I know, but the name of her father belonging to the Lopo or Putya, that ethnic group that was allowed to reign. So in this way, this nameless nun descending from an appropriate family saved the Namgyal dynasty in the 18th century. And um, over the centuries, mainly monasteries uh, following Nyingma or Kagyu tradition, traditions were founded in Sikkim. And this might also be one reason why celibacy was never really popular in Sikkim. There have been several attempts to introduce celibacy in Sikkim, but without great success. Whereas the Gelugpa, along with their strict monastic discipline, became dominant in Tibet, this tradition was never introduced in Sikkim. To give you a further example, within the Bharavakagipa tradition, there exists one incarnation lineage whose main monastery, the Kagyu Monastery in Chumbi, was founded on Sikkimese territory. And by the way, the Sikkim royal family also lived in the Chumbi Valley during the summer, and they also had close contact with Bharava masters. However, this part of the Chumbi Valley became a part of Tibet shortly after the establishment of this monastery. And after the, the Tibetan diaspora in the 1950s, most members of this monastery went to Sikkim and the Kagi Monastery in exile was established close to Gangtok, the capital of Sikkim. However, the respective incarnates were not only the only fully ordained monks of that monastery, but also as being dendric monks married. But what about gender in this context? With very few exceptions, the active roles in Sikkim have so far been taken by man. As socially and culturally expected, women usually marry and then take care of their children and the household until their children are grown up and, and start own families. Once this task is fulfilled, several women decide to devote themselves to Buddhist practices, to pray intensively for good rebirth and thus become part of many Amla communities. Village, village structures that are also called Manilakang and that belong to superordinate monasteries. After all, uh, in Sikkim today, there is the 50% clause in the election, reserving 50% of the seats in Panchayats to women. So the, Pancha, the Panchayat is a local village self-government in rural India that was once run by five male elders. And some special religious features in Sikkim are the ecclesiastical department of Sikkim and the Sikkimese Sangha representative that represents the whole Buddhist community in the Sikkimese government. Both registered monks and nuns may contest and vote for this position. However, in 2019, of more than 3,000 registered Sangha members, only 69 were nuns. Nuns always acted in a background almost invisible. Perhaps that is one reason why Sikkimese 
called it Sangha seed, also monk's seed. And there are no records of proper nunneries in Sikkim prior to the 20th century. To illustrate the point further, the Tibetologist and explorer Lawrence Weddell that traveled in India in the 1890s and visited Sikkim observed that, I quote, nuns are admitted to a few monasteries, but their number is extremely small and individually they are illiterate, old and decrepit. One reason for this might be the fact that uh, several monasteries accumulated political and economical power. Monks were advisors to the king and performed the state rituals. And nuns might not fit into this picture of monasticism. Another reason might be that women had other opportunities to devote themselves to Buddhist practices. At least 150 Manilakhans are listed by the Ecclesiastical Department of Sikkim. They are located throughout the state. These village structures give room to women for fasting practices connected with Avalokiteshvara and for reciting Om Mani Bemehum, the mantra associated with Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. So this is the most popular mantra in uh, Tibetan Buddhism that is also recited by devotees while circumambulating sacred sites or turning prayer wheels, among others, in or around such manilakans. As noted by Holmes Lakjung Darpa, the activities of these groups of women depicting interesting potentials for older women to practice Buddhism in an intensive collective environment in modern Sikkim. Their activities also suggest how women in minority communities in South Asia, such as Lopo and Lepcha, who make up the demographically significant portions of Mani Amla communities, have continued to sustain their traditions in the face of new mainstream cultural institutions in a post-colonial era. So here you see different types or um, styles of such Animanilakangs. The word itself, Animanilakang, means prayer wheel, temple or shrine room for nuns. And the government of Sikkim defines Manilakangs as sub-monasteries for women that should have a one-story single mansion in a traditional architecture, a huge idol of Avalokiteshvara, a tutor and at least eight nuns, and it should function during all monthly periodical ceremonies and important Buddhist events. To give you further examples on the roles of women, when I, when I was visiting Sikkim in 2010, the wife of Abanshayat, a leader of a village, also told me that once her children are old enough and she will not be needed anymore in the household, she will join the local Manilakang and devote herself to Buddhism. That's what she's expected to do, as she told me. Besides, even if there are around 100 Buddhist monasteries listed by the Ecclesiastical Department of Sikkim, only two anigompas, meaning nunneries, are comprised in that list. 
However, there do exist more nunneries in Sikkim, even if the most of them are part of a monk's monastic complex. One nun, for example, that told me about her life used to talk about the nunnery at Brumtek that she first joined. But according to the information provided by the ecclesiastical department of Sikkim, there exists a Rumtek Manila Kang for nuns, but not a proper nunnery. However, nuns usually acted in the background and devoted themselves to Buddhist practices, including reciting mantras and fasting practices. I would now turn to more recent uh, religious challenges in Sikkim and the role of gender in such a context that, however, are strongly associated with old legends and religious beliefs. The 20th century marked great changes for Sikkim. The Namgyal dynasty came to an end and Sikkim became an Indian state. While in the past, Tibetan masters provided locals with new infrastructures, including bridges, roads, sources of drinking water, in the 20th century, locals were again provided with new infrastructures, again roads and bridges, especially in the north, where Sikkim, Sikkim borders on Tibet and the Indian military is now permanently stationed. And this resulted in a confrontation of mainly two religious belief systems, Buddhism and Sikhism. Many military members are followers of Sikhism and relate legends that Buddhists connect with Guru Rinpoche to Guru Nanak, the first of totally ten Sikh Gurus and the founding figure of the Sikh tradition. For example, in the village Chungdang, one finds footprints of Guru Rinpoche on a rock where he took a rest. It is said that during the rest, he threw away some rice seeds and thus rice could be cultivated in Chungdang, where due to climatic and altitude reasons, rice usually would not grow. However, the Sikh community tells the same story, but connect these legends to Guru Nanak. At Chungtang, a Sikh Gurdwara has been erected near the sacred rock connected to Guru Rinpoche. On the one hand, one finds plates from the Sikkimese government labeling this place as a Buddhist pilgrimage site that is connected to Guru Rinpoche. And on the other hand, one finds plates from the Sikh community telling the same legends of Guru Rinpoche, but intending Guru Nanak. And it seems to me that this discourse did not begin until the 20th century, before it seemed clear that this was a Buddhist site. To give you an example of this, the Sakyapa master Sunam Chutsin, who traveled to Sikkim in 1724, reported in his writings that he visited sacred sites connected to Guru Rinpoche in Chungtang, including his throne most likely referring to Guru Nedo, the stone where Guru Rinpoche took a rest. However, this whole area in the Himalayas is prone to earthquakes. When a heavy earthquake hit Sikkim in September 2011, Chungdang was hit worse. Among others, the local Buddhist monastery and the local Manilakhan, the place for Buddhist nuns and lady devotees to offer prayers under the guidance of a tutor were damaged. While the restoration was going on very slowly, a new large Sikh Gurdwara was built in a rush near Gurdunedo. 
The debate whether this is a sacred place for Buddhists or the Sikh community is a very sensitive one. Locals, for example, claim that their history is being rewritten by the intruders. Both sides claim their rights and they even go to court because of it. Another recurring theme are the contested hydropower projects throughout Sikkim, which Nehru once named, named temples of modern India. The Sikkimese scholar Riksing Dokampa published a Tibetan text and he wrote that the hidden land of Demojong, Sikkim, is the feeding spring of India. And I would translate even more freely, Sikkim is a water tower of India, and now it is turning into its powerhouse. Already in the 1990s, the Sangha gathered and tried to stop such projects, which according to them, disturbed the sacred environment. For example, in the 1990s, the government planned to build a hydroelectric power station on the sacred Ratong River, a river that is part of the annual Bumchu ritual, that is one of the most important Buddhist festivals in Sikkim, which has been held for centuries and which the Sangha now saw in danger. In 1995, around 500 monks from all over Sikkim gathered in Gangtok, the capital of Sikkim, and demonstrated against this project that was understood as offense of the sacred land. They carried banners with, please protect our sacred land. These monks were followed by Sikkimese women that chanted prayers. That particular project was canceled two years later, but many others have been realized. So um, people have a close relationship to nature, incorporate this in their religious practice and in daily life. In 2018, the ninth annual environmental conference for Tibetan Buddhist monasteries and nunneries was held at the Rumtek Monastery in Sikkim. The 17th Karmapam, Ogyan Drinle Dorje, spoke via video to 90 monastic representatives from 34 monasteries and nunneries addressing climate change and the role of Buddhists in this context. He said that, I quote, due to the importance of Tibet and the Himalayas as a source of water for billions of people downstream, I appeal to you all to also take up the responsibility of addressing climate change. We should see our actions of preserving nature and protecting the environment, not only as ways of minimizing climate change impacts, but also as part of our Buddhist practice because everything we do will benefit other sentient beings. Another speaker at the conference was Mr. Keshav Koira from the United Nations. And he stated that he strongly felt that monks and nuns have huge power as people tend to revere and listen to them. Thus, if they talk to lay people about environment and climate change, there is a big chance to mind change people. So this organization, Koryuk, which means environment in Tibetan, is a network of Tibetan Buddhist monasteries and nunneries that are located in India, Nepal and Bhutan, and which have jointly made a commitment to help protect the Himalayan region from environmental degradation. Through the Koryuk initiative, the Karmapa wants to turn both Buddhist monasteries and nunneries into environmental leaders and problem solvers. 
Some Sikkimese monasteries are part of this organization, but until now, no Sikkimese nunnery, at least as far as I know. But Buddhist nuns slowly start to stand up from their marginal position. Some are studying at Buddhist universities in India or even abroad, but only a few have taken active roles in society so far. To give you an example of an outstanding Buddhist nun, one nun, a Tibetan by origin, but born in Sikkim, as she named it, left Sikkim because of the Karma Bar controversy in the early 90s. She went to Nepal and then to Sarnath, where she joined the Central Institute of Higher Tibetan Studies and where she graduated under the Buddhist philosophy stream. She wrote a book on general Buddhist concepts, especially for Sikkimese readers, and she went to Tasmania for her PhD. Today, besides of being a researcher at the Institute in Sarnath, focusing on Buddhist lexicographies from Sanskrit to Tibetan, she also became a visiting assistant professor at the Namgyal Institute of Tibetology in Sikkim, um, teaching master students. Asking her about the roles of nuns, she stated that generally, Buddhist nuns in Tibetan Buddhism were mostly devoted to doing prayers and pujas and not much philosophical studies. But lots of positive changes have occurred in the last decades. Now, nuns in most of the nunneries do philosophical studies, like in the monks' monasteries. And there are many nuns now graduating as Kenmos, Geshemas, Lopen, and Acharyas in all four schools of Tibetan Buddhism a huge achievement in this century in the history of Buddhist nuns in Tibetan Buddhism. And of course, this nuns curriculum vitae is certainly an exception for a Sikkimese nun, but it also shows that not, that not all nuns work exclusively in the background and some also start taking on active roles. But also more generally, topics such as gender equality or the empowerment of women are recurring themes in Sikkimese newspapers. And at the same time, the monks have a strong position and voice in Sikkim. And they come together and involve politically whenever they feel threatened. They remind, for example, traditional values or intensify Buddhist practices also reinterpret certain rituals that have changed due to environmental changes, or they collect evidence for protecting Buddhist pilgrimage sites or sacred landscape. In uh, February this year, a Sikkim North Bengal Buddhist conclave took place in Gangtok. The chief minister, which you see in the middle of this uh, picture, um, highlighted that the Buddhist heritage is undergoing rapid transformation in its polity, as well as in cultural and socio-economic dimensions, creating strategic challenges. So also policymakers recognize the ongoing transformation and the connected religious challenges among Buddhist communities in multi-ethnic and multilingual Sikkim. And issues and debates, including disputes with other belief systems or how to deal with the sacred environment and hydropower, hydropower projects or climate change, but also gender, gender equality and gender empowerment are part of these religious challenges. 
And I close uh, with a quote from the Office of the Special Advisor on Gender Issues and Advancement of Women United Nations from 2001. Um, it is important to convince demographers that gender perspectives can strengthen their analysis and provide new insights about demographic processes and to demonstrate to statisticians the inadequacy of data that do not incorporate gender perspectives. And quite cheekily, I add that in many other areas, it would be important and fruitful to, to include gender perspectives as well. And of course, I don't mean by any means that in Himalayan, Tibetan, Buddhist, Sikkim studies, no scientific um, discourses in this context have taken place so far, or that everybody should include that. But in some parts, this component is overlooked. After all, this is exactly what is needed to show a comprehensive picture of a society, but in my opinion, also of religious traditions, even if it is certainly easier to integrate and to concentrate on the male part since more was documented and written down in this regard. So I'll stop here and I'm really looking forward to the Q&A session. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene, uh, for your talk.